The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host today is Thursday, so I'm delighted to welcome my regular Thursday guest, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Well, thank you, Peter. It's always great to have you on board, and we're delighted. And I know I can speak for the audience that you're able to join us every week. Um, Today's show that Peter has come up with, as always, is going to be called The Real Story of Spiritual Warfare. Now, we've only uh, discussed this briefly at the start, but it's like a companion piece to the show we did on demon possession, demonic possession, demonology, let me get that right, uh, a few weeks ago. And the purpose of this show is to actually give people some positive steps that they can take to resist this satanic... uh, terrorism i think you would call it that's affecting so many of us around the world today so that being said peter where would you like to start us off today well there's no doubt that we're in a spiritual world war we understand we're in a war for civilization itself there's not just a war for culture a battle for the family a battle for the mind a battle for marriage itself the battle for every institution in Western civilization. And uh, we've all seen it. And um, I've been seeing this for a long time because I was born in Cape Town, raised in Rhodesia, went through the Rhodesian War. I've lived through three revolutions and eight wars and worked in 38 countries. So I've got a pretty good idea of how these things come. And so if you just look at what's happening in our societies, why are we having so much riots in our society and all the crime and grime and, you know, England used to be so clean and Europe and America and well, South Africa and Rhodesia used to be spotlessly clean too. But we've seen that as the revolutionaries come, litter, pollution, graffiti, vandalism, we see all the signs of dysfunctionality and dystopia coming into our societies. And it, it, we see it's evil. We can see how they, they burn down people's livelihoods and homes and burn whole forests. We've had a lot of arson. And so when you when you look at some of the physical evidence, I think we documented quite well a few weeks ago that it's got a demonic root. And, and we know the satanic heart of Karl Marx, the heart and soul of Karl Marx was completely occultic and satanic and he is given to Satan. And we've documented that well enough. So we see the fruit, but we're involved in a comprehensive body, mind and soul warfare. There's 
a battle that's ideological. We can see the battle in the news media. We can see the deception and the propaganda out there, not only in the entertainment industry of Hollywood and in the news media, in the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, Slime Magazine, the Clinton News Network, Newspeak, Useless News and World Report, in the textbooks. And of course, we want to resist. And there's a lot of ways that we resist on the ideological battle. So whether it is, for example, here in Cape Town, we had them literally going and beheading the monument to Cecil John Rhodes at Rhodes Memorial, one of our most beloved monuments in Cape Town, giving the most spectacular panoramic view of the Cape Peninsula. And uh, on the 49 steps leading up one for every year of the life of Cecil Rhodes, and nobody did more for Cape Town than Cecil Rhodes. He brought up the whole of Newlands Forest to protect it from development on the slopes of Tate Mountain, gave it as a gift to the people of Cape Town, uh, the Kirstenbosch Botanical Gardens, which is the greatest botanical diversity in the world. It's the greatest floral kingdom in the world. Over 3,200 species of flora in this magnificent Kirstenbosch Gardens, which is, again, brought up and, and provided for by Cecil Rhodes and, and his foresight and University of Cape Town. And even though they took away the statue of their founder who provide for all the education. And now we see them trying to get rid of the monument which was built by public donations by the very population of Cape Town who saw the once Prime Minister of the Cape from, nine, from 1890 to 1896, who never took a salary, never took a cent of public money, but who built the magnificent Grütterskjöv, gave it to the people of the country, and everything from Rondebosch Common, which is held in trust for people of our city in the huge Newlands Forest, and uh, Kirsten Bosch Gardens, he did so much for Cape Town in so many different ways, education-wise and so on. And uh, even enemies <laughs> like communists like Nelson Mandela had to admit publicly that all the education he, Mandela, received was as a result of Cecil Rhodes's investment in education, which is interesting that uh, even his enemies have to admit that, well, who has done more? Uh, for education in South Africa than, than Cecil Road. So interesting, but they're taking the monument. Now, that's just a symptom of something deeper, propaganda, so-called education, but it's more like indoctrination in the classrooms that's churning out revolutionaries who hate everything that uh, we stand for. And now we understand that behind the information war and the battle for marriage, battle for the family, battle for the mind, a battle for the soul of civilization, battle for the direction of our cultures and our nations. Behind all of these things, the demographic, demographic war, uh, the invasion of foreign peoples to change the demographics in any society, uh, behind the graffiti and the vandalism and the riots and the violence in our streets and the increased crime, we understand that behind it is an ideology. And that ideology is generally communism. It's Marxism, Marxism-Leninism. It's the revolution. And we've proven that there is no doubt that at the heart of communism is occultism, is Satanism. And uh, Karl Marx himself wrote in his own works, new gods need to be installed. Communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion and all morality. Karl Marx wrote, I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. Karl Marx wrote that everything in existence is worth being destroyed. 
the hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till I go mad. My heart is utterly changed. See the sword, the prince of darkness sold it to me. For me, beats the time and gives the signs ever more boldly. I play the dance of death. And he said with disdain, I throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant whose fall will not stifle my ardor. I will wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world, and giving my words an act of force, I will feel equal to the Creator. And Karl Marx said he wanted to hurl gigantic curses on mankind, that he was entirely comfortable with hate, that he loved nothing and no one, and he is entirely comfortable with hate. Without violence, nothing is ever accomplished in history. These are all words straight from Karl Marx, and we've proven that Karl Marx was without a doubt a Satanist, and we know this. We know that one of his daughters, Eleanor, married a Satanist, a very well-known Satanist, Edward Aveling, who wrote the blasphemous lectures on the wickedness of God. And three of Karl Marx's children starved to death. Five of his children died prematurely. Two of his daughters committed suicide. His wife also committed suicide. So Karl Marx and his life was a disaster. And his economic theories, a complete catastrophe. And wherever it's been put into place, the result has been untold devastation and chaos. And so Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the greatest Russian author of the 20th century, was quite right when he said, the world has never before known a godlessness as organized, militarized, and tenaciously malevolent, malicious, as that preached by Marxism. Within the philosophical system of Marx and Lenin, at the heart of their psychology, hatred of God is the principal driving force. More fundamental than all their political and economic pretensions, militant atheism is not merely incidental or marginal to communist policy. It is not a side effect. It is the central pivot. To achieve its diabolical ends, communism needs to control a population devoid of religious and national feeling. And this entails a destruction of faith and nationhood. Communists proclaim both these objectives openly and just as openly put them into practice. Now, that's a quote straight from, from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And much of this you've heard before if you have listened to our program on the demon possession in the Communist Party. So when we are fighting communism, we need to understand that in addition to fighting it with information, because it is an information war, and in addition to the battle for the mind, and for the culture, obviously we're dealing with cultural Marxism. We understand they're working through the five culture-carrying institutions of society, education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, and political institutions. But when we recognize that at the heart and soul of Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin and Joseph Stalin and the entire communist system is occultism and Satanism and hatred for God, we need to recognize that we cannot effectively combat communism or the spirit of the revolution without spiritual warfare. We need to understand that we are body, mind, and spirit, and there are forces of darkness, and we need to know how to respond spiritually as well. And uh, this includes uh, the power of prayer, the power of the word of God. It involves the full armor of God. It involves knowing how to reclaim surrendered ground. So just for example, when you can see the enemy coming into your community and they put graffiti and litter you know, whether we do a cleanup program, whether we institute better laws to punish litter and graffiti, uh, and whether we go and repair the monuments that they've damaged, uh, replace the things that were destroyed, 
uh, clean up things that they've messed up. And, and we're involved in this on a regular basis, trying to reclaim our communities. And we understand how this works so that when they come out with their graffiti, we can do counter graffiti. And I remember at uh, uh, one time when they would go along and they'd be putting these ANC uh, graffiti, with, of course, spray paint on bridges and, and so on and walls. Uh, we'd go and uh, we'd put uh, abortion, nepotism, corruption, or uh, abortion, uh, necklacing, and communism. And so we would take their graffiti and we'd do counter graffiti to, to expose the enemy and to be able to uh, leap from there. They had an election poster which was, together, we could do so much more together. So that was the slogan. So uh, we would go and just add in, which was, we can do so much more, and we'd add next to the more crime. You know, we can do so much more crime together, and we can do so much more corruption together. And so we would take uh, the challenge of the propaganda put out by the enemy, the Marxist, to put in counter. And of course, you can do this in social media, letters to editor, radio programs such as these. We need to counter the enemy intellectually. We need to counter them ideologically. We need to counter their psychological warfare, their psychological operations. And all of that is valid and important. But at the heart, we've got to recognize there's a spiritual core. And sometimes when you're confronted by demonic, I meaning demon-possessed mobsters, rioters, and if you've looked into the eyes of some of these BLM and Antifa rioters, you would have recognized that some of these people, many of these people, actually demon-possessed. There is a demonic, irrational hatred that you can only understand in a spiritual realm, such as our Lord Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. So in the Bible we read, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So as Christians, we're engaged in an intense spiritual warfare. 1 Peter 5.8 says, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. So behind Karl Marx and behind Vladimir Lenin, behind their philosophical system of communism, there is the devil. There is Satan. And the devil is a shrewd enemy who has been tempting God's people for centuries, placing snares and traps in a path to distract and deviate and discourage and defeat us. And the devil knows our weaknesses, whether it's pride or greed or lust or dishonesty or immorality or bitterness. And if we don't deal with sin in our hearts and fortify our areas of weakness, we'll continue to experience spiritual defeat. And we do need to recognize that to a large extent, the problems we're suffering have a spiritual root. It's not just the e wickedness of the evil. It's the weakness and inactivity and passivity and neutrality of the people of God that's caused this. When an African prince asked Queen Victoria at the height of Queen Victoria's reign, when Britain was the greatest power, the greatest superpower, the greatest empire the world had ever seen, and asked, what is the secret of Britain's greatness? Queen Victoria handed this man a Bible and said, this is the secret of Britain's greatness. And it is, and it also explains why Britain is no longer that great, because we forsook the Word of God, we forsook the Bible. And when you look at the spiritual deterioration of the Church of England, and you look at the spiritual deterioration of so much of the schools, which used to be God-fearing centers, Cambridge used to produce the greatest reformers. The, in fact, as Cambridge uh, people have said in the past, 
Cambridge produced the reformers whom Oxford burned. And the Martyrs Memorial in Oxford are all of Cambridge men. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, Bishop Hooper, Bishop Ridley, uh, great theologians and great evangelists and reformers who were burned uh, for the crime of being reformers, for trying to turn Britain from the Inquisition of Catholicism to the Protestant faith. And William Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, the first man to translate the whole Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into English, he was burned at the stake uh, in near, near Brussels and uh, Vilvorde. And uh, the very fact that we got a Bible in English is the result of Bibles being translated in Germany, printed in Germany, and smuggled from the Netherlands into England, where the first batch were intercepted and burned. 6,000 New Testaments in English burned by order of the Bishop of London because they were Bibles translated uh, into the English language, and Bible in English was illegal at that time. There's a spiritual dimension, and there was a time when Britain was a God-fearing nation, and we can see what has happened since it has become a secular, legalized abortion, legalized homosexuality, legalized perversion, legalized virtually every kind of vileness that you can think of, from Sabbath desecration all the way through now, when you can see how rape gangs of Asian Muslim, Pakistani, and so on, rape gangs, grooming English girls, abusing them in hundreds of thousands of cases, ignored for not just years, but decades by the child protection services and police and even Scotland Yard because they didn't want to be called racists and so or Islamophobes. And therefore, so much evil has been done in the British Isles and Britain is in sin. And so when we look at the political, social, problems, the cultural problems that's going on, we've got to recognize they all have a spiritual root. And uh, so it's it's vital that we must recognize that if we've harbored sin, if we've nurtured sin, if we've given the devil a foothold in our life, he often takes a little toehold or foothold and turns it into a stronghold or a stranglehold. And once we've surrendered ground to Satan, it's vitally important that we learn how to reclaim that ground. We're talking about on a personal level, not only on a community and national level. And so that's why we need to put on the whole armor of God and successfully resist the tempter. There are spiritual weapons that God has given us in the spiritual war to tear down Satan's strongholds and replace them with fortresses of faith. Ephesians 4, 26. When you're angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. Do not let the sun go down your wrath. Do not give place to the devil. So if we cultivate any known sin, if we are giving Satan an opportunity to gain a foothold or a beachhead in our life, Satan can then use this opportunity to invade and take over other areas. And it's crucial that we, in the power of God's Holy Spirit, retake the ground that we may have yielded to the enemy. So the Apostle Paul said he didn't want us to be ignorant of Satan's devices. But most Christians are willfully ignorant of the tactics and strategy of the enemy. I've heard People say they don't believe there is such a thing as the devil or hell or spiritual realities or demon possession. Well, they are denying what we see evidence of all around us. And if people do not realize how demonic these mobs are in the streets that are firing flares at police horses during what they call mostly peaceful protests in London and so on. Well, if we if we don't see uh, the demon possession all around us and people are just destroying and undermining and uh, literally trying to uh, 
destroy the very foundations and fabric of our society, then we've been willfully blind. And John Bunyan, in his Pilgrim's Progress, eloquently portrays, and this is one of the greatest best-selling English books in all time, Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan while he was in prison, by the way, for preaching the gospel. Christians are involved in a daily battle against all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus said, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We read in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And so not only is the enemy, Satan, enslaved many to false religions and false ideologies, like communism, and sinful habits and addictions, but he's also waging an all-out war against the force of Jesus Christ. There's a tremendous anti-Christian spirit at work, not just in Hollywood and in many educational institutions, so-called, but on many other levels. Satan's aiming to undermine the church and to frustrate the divinely appointed rescue mission entrusted to the church. And by this, I mean the true church, not just the institutionalized church, which in many cases has been hijacked by unbelievers. The World Council Church is being a classic example of how Marxists have hijacked what used to be religious and Christian institutions. So not only has the enemy enslaved many to false religions and sinful habits, but he is undermining the very fabric of the church today. And just as our Lord Jesus is dedicated to saving lost men and women, so Satan is dedicated to damning and destroying and defiling everyone in this strife-torn world. And just as it's God's plan for the church to take the precious life-giving word of God, the Bible, to all people everywhere. So Satan seeks to prevent this. And it really is a war against the Bible. And just as God commanded Christians to be a light to the world and to radiate God's love to those trapped in the darkness of sin, the enemies continually seek to dim and divert and destroy any Christian influence in society. And the only hope for this lost world is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God entrusted this message to his church. And God's plan is for all Christians to be as freedom fighters in a real sense. In the sin-enslaved world, we're to be God's guerrillas. We are seeking to work behind enemy lines to undermine Satan's forces, his false religious cults and ideologies and communism and occult. The whole church needs to be once again involved in this war of liberation to free the whole world from the devil's deceptions and the snares of Satan. And it was a time when Great Britain was united in the campaign against slavery and cannibalism and false religion and bringing literacy and medicine and advanced agricultural techniques to end famines and to bring people the light of the word of God and to convert cannibalistic tribes way out there in the Pacific Islands, everywhere in the world to Christ and to free people enslaved, literally enslaved uh, in Central Africa and missionaries like David Livingston and uh, journalists like Henry Morton Stanley and others did phenomenal work in this, and the Mary Slessers and so on, and CT studs. The only reason why the devil is so often winning is because the church is so seldom fighting. You can have the best team, but if they're not in the field at the time of the match, they lose. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If the devil is not fleeing from us, then either we're not submitting to God or we're not resisting the devil or both. How is it possible that in Britain today you have active slavery. There are thousands of people who are enslaved in sex trafficking and human trafficking in the British Isles now. Whatever happened to rural Britannia and Britain rules the waves and hope, land of hope and glory, which I believe is even being banned from the proms these days. He who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. We are more than conquerors to Christ Jesus who loved us. Yet 
most in the church prefer to retreat to their barracks and sing battle songs rather than follow the commanding officer into the field of battle. We teach about our weapons, maybe, but they're seldom used. We praise our commanding officer, but we seldom obey him. We know he commands us to attack, but we choose to consolidate. He commands us to move forward, but we decide to dig in. He leads us into battle, but most stay at home and watch TV and read romance novels and play video games. The enemy has tricked many into the ambush of pride and thousands have triggered the landmines of lust and others have been discouraged by the bombardment of criticism and many have retreated before the poison gas of gossip and the booby traps of bitterness have crippled the critical and those who have struggled behind the units have found themselves captured by the diversions of the world and propaganda has led many to surrender to the army of unbelief. We're in a spiritual world war. And the fight is to preach the gospel of Christ to the millions living under communist oppression, to smuggle Bibles to those living under severe persecution, to save the lives of millions trapped in satanic deceptions like communism and BLM and Antifa and false religious cults and sects, and to free the drug addicts and to liberate the alcoholics and to give people hope and direction in life. The church must reach everyone in this needy world with the powerful love and liberty of Jesus Christ. And our primary targets must include the seemingly impenetrable communist and Muslim areas. Now, these strongholds must be reached for Christ no matter what the cost. And the enemies of God, like Hollywood, need to be infiltrated and ultimately replaced with those who will produce God-honoring, family-friendly entertainment. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But we need to be free if we want to free others. And so Ephesians 4 verse 27 warns us, never give place to the devil. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give the devil a chance. If the devil gains a firm enough foothold in our life, he can turn an act of sin into a regular practice of sin. And from there it can degenerate into habit, which can lead us down into bondage. And his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he's caught in the cords of his own sin. No alcoholic starts by announcing, I plan to ruin my life and my family's life by drinking as much alcohol as I can from this day forward. No. It begins with a single drink, and then a second, and a third. And the downward slide can be traced from the initial act to a regular practice, to a habit, and then to a bondage. The counseling psychologists tend to use the word addiction. This suggests that we are powerless victims of our problem. And this is part of the the enemy's tactics is to have the gospel of victimization. I'm a victim. Nothing's my fault. But God calls it sin. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. John 8, 32 to 36. So the first step to genuine freedom in Christ must be wholehearted repentance from sin. A U-turn, a right about turn. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, writes the Apostle John. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. God's son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
That's in 1 John 1. The truth is we're not just victims of Satan needing deliverance. We're guilty sinners needing forgiveness. We need mercy. So repentance is the first step. And the second step to freedom in Christ is taking back the ground we've yielded to the enemy. If we've given Satan a key or a foothold in our life through bitterness, unforgiveness, pride, immorality, idolatry, rebelliousness, dabbling in occult, we need to command the enemy in the name of Jesus to leave. Satan is a liar and he's a deceiver. He's the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth who sets us free. We are lost. Jesus is the way. We are deceived. Jesus is the truth. We are dead in our trespasses and Jesus is the life. And his truth sets us free. We need to renew our minds by the washing of the word of God, by meditating on whatever things are pure and whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report. And if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, think on, meditate on these things. Philippians 4.8. So we need to tear down the strongholds of Satan in life. And in its place, we need to build towers of truth and reprogram our mind with life-giving and liberating word of God. Pray the Psalms. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to bring our thoughts and our minds and our worldviews and our political and economic and ideological viewpoints in line with the word of God and the will of God. The law of God forbids us to give attention to occultism. And Leviticus 19.31 is clear. Do not give your attention to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek off them. You will be defiled by them. In Deuteronomy 18, God says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found amongst you anyone who makes a son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are abominations to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. For these heathen which you will dispossess, they listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. And so we know that before our people came into the British Isles, there were people into all kinds of occultism. And we see Stonehenge and other evidences of previous practices being and rituals that were practiced. But that's not our way. And the revival of paganism in our modern society is very disturbing. And notice as there's been a turning away from God and turning away from his law and a legalizing of all these abominations and perversions all the way through to killing babies through abortion and tolerating perverts and all kinds of rapists like Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and how many other uh, evil characters that Hollywood and society have tolerated. Just look how less safe we've become and how our streets have been dirtier and full of graffiti and the violence. Well, that's what happens in our lives too. We can see if you just look at some old pictures or paintings or even old films from the eight millimeter films of, of England back 50, 60 years ago, and you'll look, it used to be so different. Our society was clean and people were clean and the, and the young people were cleaner and uh, the women were more attractive and everything was so much better when we were following God. But as we've turned away from God and become more conformed to Hollywood and what it is in many cases, demons coming in and redecorating their new territory and putting their mark, just like 
you might move into place and hang up different pictures and put this and that and decorate it to put your stamp on the office or home. Well, um, you can see the demons in some people's uh, lives from all the body piercing and tattoos and all the drug addiction and the vile things that are going on, the foul mouth and the dirty habits. And so much of this is just evidence of demonic activity and surrendered ground that uh, you can see that this person is no longer controlled by the Holy Spirit, but now by some evil spirits. So we need to ask God to reveal any and all occultic activity that's ever taken place in our life, going to mediums, clairvoyance, all that sort of thing. We should renounce the seeking of power as sin. We should commit ourselves to the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. We don't need these clairvoyance. We've got the Holy Spirit. Renounce the seeking of guidance from evil spirits and commit yourself to the guidance of the scriptures. We don't need necromancers. And renounce all occultic healing involvement and commit yourself to the God who heals, Jehovah Rapha. We should renounce the use of mantras and charms and fetishes and any object that we may have trusted in for protection. Commit ourselves to God's protection. That rabbit's foot, if the rabbit's foot was lucky, it would still be on a rabbit. We should remove all occultic material from home, whether it's a Buddha statue we picked up on a visit to Thailand or whatever. Burn what can be burned, break and bury what cannot be burned. Ask God to take back all ground given to Satan through your involvement in darkness and worldly or occultic music. There's a lot of bad music out there that should be deleted from our uh, digital mediums. Determine to only listen to music which is thoroughly Christian and God-honoring and edifying and building up. A lot of people are in a suicidal frame of mind, but they listen to angry, acid rock, rap, hip-hop and death metal and well no wonder many people have psychological and spiritual problems the kind of music we listen to affects us the kind of entertainment we watch i remember coming across somebody who had so many bars and bolts and chains on their door and uh, i said uh, is crime bad here and she says well not that bad but i read stephen king novels and thought well that'll do You, you drop. Sorry, say again. Yeah, you just said Stephen King novels, um, uh, Peter, and then you dropped out. So please continue from that point. Oh yes, well, <laughs> it's wonderful that we can talk across hemispheres and continents uh, by this method, and generally have very good um, links. And uh, it's amazing we don't have more, especially with the amount of people often are waging cyber war trying to listen in on us. So uh, God instructed his people, you shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them. You shall not take it for yourself, lest you be ensnared by it. For it's an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring any abomination to your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it's an accursed thing. So that's from Deuteronomy 7, 25 to 26. There are things that are an abomination to God and we shouldn't bring it into a house. And I'm sure that that would include some TV programs, magazines, uh, films, CDs, whatever people are using these days. David said he wouldn't even want to take the names of false gods and idols upon his lips. So giving in to the occults, easy. Getting out can be traumatic, but it's essential for spiritual health and freedom. We need to destroy occultic materials. If you bought it, burn it. Acts 19, people in Ephesus, they brought their occultic materials and they made a bonfire and they sort of burned their bridges, burned their boats, so to speak. I decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. 
So Revelation 12 verse 11 says, And they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. So it's so important for us to recognize those things that have been a problem, whether it's bitterness or rebellion or pride or immorality. We need to renounce those things because we don't want to give Satan any ground. We need to humble ourselves before God and acknowledge our need of God's guidance and his divine power and his guidance and submit ourselves to God, dedicate our lives and our bodies to glorifying God and dedicate our minds into thinking his thoughts after him. Uh, to use Isaac Newton's term, science is thinking God's thoughts after him. And using our emotions to love him, because we meant to body, mind, spirit, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to put our energy into serving God and and not serving Satan, uh, like KISS, Knights in Satan's Service, that music group claimed they dedicated their music to bring bondage to the people who listen to it. And uh, that, uh, that everything I did would be in Satan's service. And so we need to recognize whether we believe it or not, there's a lot of people in Hollywood and the music industry who are literally dedicating their arts to Satan. And there have been video documentaries made of people who literally sought Satan to inspire them and make them great and famous and successful. And in exchange, they basically gave their soul. And it's been documented that there's a number of super successful Hollywood superstars who attribute their success to having given themselves over to Satan and Satan giving them the inspiration to produce this novel, the script and so on, and uh, to be successful and to go from obscurity to worldwide fame. And there's a price. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? So we need to actively resist the devil in the name of Jesus overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the atonement, put on the helmet of salvation, by the word of your testament. God's word is powerful. Uh, but, you know, it's not just the sword of the Spirit, but when it's the word of your testament, it's not just the word I speak, but I'm living the word of God. Uh, we need to counterattack with the word of God and with prayer, especially praying the Psalms. Draw near to God and I will draw near to you, he says. Cleanse your hearts. Purify your hearts. We need to get back into the race ask for forgiveness for every violation we've made of God's standards and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and whom our faith depends from beginning to end. We can reclaim surrender ground and enjoy full freedom in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I've put together a, uh, a whole a study and program on reclaiming surrendered ground, freedom in Christ, which people can find on our frontline mission, sa.org website. And there's, there's some videos and, and audios that I've done at spiritual warfare workshops where we go through demonology, Deliverance, the Occult, ABC, and guide people. If, if you want full freedom in Christ and you want to get out of the bondage, that it, it might be something very serious, uh, such as actually being involved in occultism or Satanism. It could be something as apparently mundane as pride and bitterness and unforgiveness. But these are things we need to break free of. And some of the things we found that's very useful is to actually make a, a list of, for example, names of people that we're holding feelings of bitterness against and resentment. And we might also want to make a list of names of people that, if they were making up a list, uh, people that we've offended, that we have never repented to or, or done restitution with or returned what we borrowed or broke or didn't uh, replace or repair. So to make restitution, to make right, Wherever it's it's like if you've got a debt 
you want to get out of the bondage of debt. Well, you need to come up with terms. You need to repay the debt so that you're no longer in bondage to that person that you owed something to. In the same way, if we have in some way given Satan ground in our life, we need to take it back and praise God that even if Satan spends a lifetime building chains around us, our Lord Jesus Christ can break those chains an instant. And as last week, we were talking about the Vikings. And uh, it's, it's just plain that when the Vikings realized that Jesus Christ is greater than Thor and Odin and that he could set the captives free. I've read books such as Set Free to Serve Christ, a testimony of a British witch who was converted to Christ and uh, delivered from a lot of demonic bondage. And what an amazing story uh, of someone who had been in the deepest involvement of occultism and Satanism, finding freedom in Christ. And we know all over the world there's testimonies of people who used to be in bondage, whether to drugs or drink or alcohol or crime, violence, terrorists, Marxists who used to be on the other side and who were converted by the grace of God. Now, like Saul, who was once a persecuted church, became Paul, the missionary of the church. There are many trophies of grace all over the world of people. I know people who were Marxist, terrorist, murderers, Satanists, who have been converted to Christ. There's, there's no bondage that Christ can't set us free from. There's no sin so great that the grace of God isn't greater still. The light is more powerful in the darkness. Truth is more powerful in error. And that's why in Eastern Europe, the symbol of the Leipzig prayer meeting and the resistance conference was the candle. And they'd come to the Leipzig prayer meetings with, with uh, unlit candles, and one candle would be lit, and then one by one they'd light it, showing how the truth can spread uh, as the light is spread in the candle. They'd go home, and with all lights off in their home, they'd just put a candle in open windowsill, symbolizing resistance to communism. It's a very powerful, silent um, method of resistance. And so just like the V for victory sign in Eastern Europe became the symbol against the clenched fist of rebellion of the communists. And you could see, especially in the Christmas Revolution, Romania in 1989, still see the faces of these determined Romanians putting up the big V for victory sign against the clenched fist of communism and the people in Leipzig and Germany lifting up the candles boldly. Our light is more powerful in your darkness. Not all your darkness can put out the smallest candle. Our truth is more powerful in your error. And God is greater than Satan. And freedom is greater than bondage. And so we're in this great world war. Let's not forget the spiritual dimension. And let's all of us do what we can to be right with God and to be sure that we've repented of all our sins and we've reclaimed the ground that we gave to Satan. And we're trying to live in daily victory by putting on the full arm of God, which remember the full arm of God, what are we talking about? We're talking about truth. <laughs> the full arm of God includes the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth. We need truth. The, the shoes shod with the gospel of, of peace, the readiness to proclaim the gospel, the shield of faith with which you'll be able to put out all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And all of these put on with prayer. So Helmet of salvation, are you saved? Belt of truth, do you know the truth? Has it set you free? The shoes, boots put on, are you ready to, are you capable of proclaiming the gospel? They're coming at us with bombs and hatred and with Marxism. Are we going out with the truth and with faith and with the love of Christ, which is far more powerful than their hate? 
And do you have a shield of faith? Do you have faith? Do you know the word of God? Do you know the promise of God? Can you quote the scriptures and the sword of the spirit? Do you know the word of God? Can you apply the word of God? I've gone into communist terrorist bases. I've gone into uh, Muslim terrorist bases. I have proclaimed the gospel to SWAPO terrorists, ANC, PAC, PLO, MPLA, Philemo. I've proclaimed the gospel to Marxists on every level, ZANU and ZAPU, and a whole alphabet soup of communist terrorist movements all over Africa. And I've shown them the Jesus form, and I've preached the gospel, and I've seen some of my enemies come forward, kneel in the dust, put the AK-47 in the dirt, and bow down and beg our Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. And some of those people became co-workers of ours. And, and as vigorously as they used to fight against us for communism, they started to fight against communism for freedom and for Christ and for the church. There's some magnificent stories that, that uh, I'm putting together in this new book I'm doing on Frontline, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ. But we should be involved in a spiritual world war, and that'll also give us a lot more courage and faith and hope because many of our people are discouraged when they see so much evil and violence out there. Mm -hmm. But just as communism was defeated in the Soviet Union, and just as the whole of Eastern Europe broke free ultimately and the Iron Curtain came down, we will defeat the communists in our lifetime. But it'll take prayer. It'll take faith. It'll take commitment. It'll take spiritual warfare. We need to fear God and then we'll be freed from the fear of man. And I think we can learn a lot from our friends in Eastern Europe. When you look at what's going on in Hungary and in Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia and Slovakia and Romania and Russia and Ukraine and Belarus. It's the Christian faith that's enabled them to resist the EU and the New World Order and the globalism and to make a stand against the demographic invasions and the Islamic invasion and all the other nonsense coming on. You've noticed Western Europe's been generally pretty acquiescent and, and passive, but Eastern Europe has been giving the most resistance. And that's because they've got decades of experience of building up their church underground and being strong in their faith, even as they were oppressed politically. So I think spiritual freedom comes first, and then the fruit can be seen in other areas. Obviously, the information war is key. Obviously, the cultural war is key, but I think underneath it all, the foundation is the spiritual world war. So we need spiritual freedom. We need to understand spiritual warfare, and we will see that great is he who's in us and him who's in the world. Our truth is more powerful than their lies and errors. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic presentation as always. And certainly that book will be something I want to get hold of, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ. Uh, we can do a show on that in the future, Peter, when it's ready. And for those of you regular listeners, you will know many of Peter's experiences uh, as a missionary where he's been jailed, he's been tortured, he's been attacked. Um, and this, uh, it, it just shows uh, its testament to Jesus Christ that Peter has managed to live through all of these dreadful experiences that he's endured. And so that will certainly be a very powerful book. A couple of um, observations. I'm pleased that you brought it back to Eastern Europe at the end there, um, Peter, because you'll know what's going on in Belarus with the uh, New World Order yeah. trying to overthrow President Lukashenko, uh, who was uh, elected by the people. And the funny, it's quite a funny story there because uh, Nick Griffin, uh, my friend who used to be the leader of the British National Party and was a member of the European Parliament, um, he recounted a story a couple of times that fortunately I remembered on the last show that he was on uh, a couple of weeks ago, last week I think, 
And he went uh, with a delegation to Belarus. And he was walking around and being shown around by a guide and what have you. And he said, there's something here. And I can't put my finger on it, but there's something that's just so different than what I've experienced anywhere else. And he suddenly worked it out. It was that there was no graffiti, Peter. Hmm. And Mm. so what he did was he said to his guide, he said, how come there's no graffiti? And the guide said, well, why would there be graffiti? And he says, well, all around the world that I visit, there's graffiti. He said, well, why would people put it up? And then, you know, this discussion, you know, (laughs) went on and... uh, and uh, Nick said to the guy, well, what would happen if someone put graffiti uh, or school graffiti or what have you? And the guy said, well, I, I really don't know. You know, because Nick was thinking there was no graffiti because there was like some 10-year prison sentence if you do graffiti. But it just wasn't in the nature of the people. And so the guide's answer was, well, I guess they'd probably be asked to, to, to wipe it, you know, to, to, to repair the Clear. damage that they'd done. Mm-hmm. Your comments on that, please. Yes. You know, that is so true, and make no mistake, this is cultural Marxism. It was Macuse in the Frankfurt School, already in the 20s and 30s, who was saying we must use obscene language, foul language, which included not just in arts and sciences, but also in graffiti, in order to use these as verbal grenades to undermine the bourgeois uh, capitalist Christian West. And so uh, their, their deliberate seeking to undermine our monuments, our statues, our culture, our arts, our films, our plays, our uh, music, everything to be uh, infiltrated. And Macuse particularly said, use foul language to undermine the sensibilities of the Christian West. And so uh, we need to recognize that when we're seeing graffiti, we are seeing evidences of psychological warfare. It is designed to undermine just as when they're bringing foul language into popular music or into popular films or into the uh, arts and sciences and plays and so on, uh, or uh, when they bring in discordant music or disturbing music or death metal and so on. This is psychological warfare, which the cultural Marxists of the Frankfurt School already were planning back in the 20s and 30s. We've seen a gradual increase in the West. So when you go into a society where you see graffiti, you've got to know that society is being targeted. And... Uh, it's very clear to me, crime and grime go together. Just like you don't get a person who's demon-possessed who doesn't start to destroy their entire life and family. And so when you see a lot of body piercing and self-mutilation and uh, all this different body mutilation society, where whether it's as metal all over the face and uh, all over the body and what have you, and, and or, or inking and so on, uh, this is a form of graffiti which you do it on yourself now. And all of this is a sign of, of crime, just like a gang goes into a community and they put their different uh, signatures. So they call it, is it tagging? Um, so graffiti is saying something. It's communicating. Just like you might have a hyena marking his territory with scent in the jungle in the bush uh, in Africa. So you get gangs and criminals and communist revolutionaries marking territory. And it's just think of it as cyborg. Yes, back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And the only other thing that I've got here is, of course, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 28, where uh, God says that um, uh, he will basically, you will get the blessings if you follow his laws. I only 
um, paraphrase mm. that quickly because I'm moving on to 28.15. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all the curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And I think that it's no coincidence that before they started bringing in all the sexual immorality, all the uh, essentially breaking of laws that are in the Bible, the first thing that they did throughout the world was they took uh, the Bible out of schools, the separation of church and state, they call it in America. And they had to do that first. So essentially what they were doing was they were removing God's protection from us all. And we can see what's happened since, can't we, Peter? We can. Now, as a missionary, this is super clear to me because, for example, I've gone into very pagan societies, very pagan, you know, where people are literally living in caves and in mud huts and where the people are walking around basically naked and uh, they've got body scarification and they've got uh, tattoos and all that sort of thing. And I've even seen some places so bad that they've got uh, body parts like heads or skulls on stakes around their villages. Now, you walk in and you can tell <laughs> these people are not Christians, they're pagans and they're probably demonic. And uh, because it's obvious, you, you can see it there. But then you see the influence of the gospel. And in time, the people are wearing clothes and uh, they're going to the doctor and their life expectancy has been trebled and they're wearing eyeglasses and there's a church built. And uh, you start to see marriage uh, no longer having polygamy, but now it's one man, one woman. And you start to see education, schools get built. And obviously all that horrible, evil stuff of heads and stakes, that's gone. Now there's, there's a cross on top of the hillside. And so I've seen how societies can go from demon-possessed uh, occultism and even cannibalism uh, through to the gospel. I can give examples of that in the Nuba Mountains and in the Congo and, and Nigeria and so on. But now uh, you can also see, if you go into the West, places that used to have the highest of culture, phenomenal cathedrals and just the most magnificent gardens and everything just organized and the most beautiful music. And then you start to see graffiti and crime and grime and drug-addicted, body-piercing, self-mutilated, uh, troubled kids on the ground, and hordes of immigrants are coming in and begging and rioting. And so we can see how societies aren't static. Uh, either we are submitting to God and seeing the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 14, or we're seeing the curses of disobedience to God in Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15 onwards, as, as you said. So I've seen that in, well, I'm now 60 years old, and I've been a missionary now for over 40 years. So as I travel around, I can see the transition of societies from either occultism to Christianity or from Christianity through to the revolution, occultism, and beyond. And so when people see the first signs on your society would be crime and grime and graffiti, and you start seeing the youth going in the wrong direction, and you've got to know this society is in the latter part of Deuteronomy 28. That's a curse of disobedience to God. You cannot be neutral. We are either for God or we're against him. And uh, the Marxist revolution, I think, should be a wake-up call to anyone who thought that we were in a safe, secure situation where everything's going to continue to be stable the rest of our lives. Well, I've seen great civilizations uprooted and destroyed. And I've also seen some occultic villages and tribes converted and uh, building up civilization. So uh, nothing is neutral. When I've seen Eastern Europe getting more free and Western Europe getting more communist, we know that the world is not stable. Um, 
things are changing and are we going to be like dead fish floating downstream or are we going to be like the steel-headed trout going upstream against the tide? So, yes, we need Reformation revival. I'd, I'd say Europe uh, has a simple choice. It's uh, Reformation or Revolution. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And before we go, could you uh, give uh, the audience, uh, folks, there's several links to uh, uh, Peter's websites in the post for this show at andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com and also a link to all of our uh, past um, shows that we've done together that uh, Peter hosts. Any it's... links that you'd like to mention before we go, Peter? Certainly. If, if you go on to frontlinemissionsa.org, so it's frontlinemissionsa.org, that's our website and there's audio files which includes the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock show, uh, archives of shows that we've done together, which goes back several years now. It's, it's, it's quite a library. We're so grateful for the opportunities here. There's videos that we bring, bring out on revolution, and you'll also be able to find in the Spiritual Warfare Workshop uh, a whole series of video documentary presentations, also on SlideShare and audio, whichever you prefer, uh, dealing with spiritual warfare, reclaiming surrendered ground, demonology and deliverance, the occult ABC. I think if you're interested more on this, it's so important. And of course, if you didn't listen to the earlier show, which was several weeks ago on uh, demon possession, demonology uh, in, the, in the Communist Party and the revolution, uh, then do listen to that. And I think it's also relevant in accordance with last week's on, on the Vikings, because the Vikings were some of the most brutal people on the planet, and uh, they got transformed by the gospel, and it's, it's a very inspiring story. So, yes, let's be part of the solution, not part of the problem. FrontlineMissionSA.org, and if you want to email me, it's mission at frontline.org.za. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, folks, that uh, show is still on my website on Demonic Possession. It's show number 1319, so please download that while you can. It will drop off next week. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'll, of course, be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a good day and bye for now. <laughs>